Father, we thank you that uh, you've brought James to us. Lord, we thank you that we co-labor for your mission, uh, the mission of Jesus in this town. And Lord, thank you that you have laid things on James's heart as he's prepared. And now, Lord, we want to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, we open our ears and we open our hearts to you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, all. As Bruce mentioned, I'm James, if you've not met before. I'm one of the leaders here at New Life. It's great to see you all, especially having uh, missed last week as uh, Kings um, just back there preaching and uh, Kings Church family there say hi. And uh, yeah, it was good to see friendly faces and reconnect with people there and, and preach there. Um, we had a great time last week. Uh, uh, yesterday, there was a couple of us at the um, 2020 conference, just uh, hearing from God. In terms of, we got a vision for planting 20 churches in 20 places in the next 20 years, and so we were getting together just to be inspired and, and pray into that. Hearing news of um, gospel plants going on in Watton, Longstratton, Pouring Land. Um, there's a group of folk praying for the Broads area. Um, and just kind of uh, seeking the Lord for that and um, getting excited for what God's doing across Norfolk and North Suffolk in terms of that. Um, Jess and the kids would love to have been here, but Jess has been poorly this week. She's got sinusitis blocked up on antibiotics, so they've stayed at home this morning. So I'm without them. Uh, so do, do pray for them when you get opportunity. Uh, we're going to be in Nehemiah 7 today. If you want to turn there, if you've got a Bible, don't worry if you don't. It should come up on the screen on a PowerPoint. Um, if I remember to click through it right. Um, a while back, I, I started uh, speaking and um, gave the illustration of uh, my son Sebastian had been uh, sanding a set of drawers and uh, how he was getting excited about that restoration project. And uh, just to give you a bit of an update on that, we, we've done most of the drawers. We've just got to do the front of the drawers. We're at a kind of halfway point. And we're at a kind of halfway point here in Nehemiah as well. Uh, where the walls have been completed, but the mission is, is incomplete. And the second half of the book goes into this kind of, talks about the renewal of the life of the people of God, uh, recommitting themselves to the covenant with God and um, recommitting themselves to his purposes. And uh, one of the things that happens on the, the, mission, uh, the journey of mission is this uh, thing of appointment, which is what we're going to look at today. This passage has got quite a lot in it about appointment. Now, what is appointment? I was thinking about it. I think it's the formal, authoritative, often public assigning of someone to a particular role or function. And we do that in new life, don't we? We appoint people to specific tasks with roles and responsibilities. And so today we're going to look at why we appoint, who we appoint, and how we serve in the roles and responsibilities uh, that we have. Uh, So let's read the passage together. It's Nehemiah 7. It's a really quite lengthy passage with a lot of jump bits uh, and uh, so that we get through the whole thing in good time. Uh, now, when the wall had been built and I'd set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some of the uh, posts and 
their homes. Within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. My heart to the nobles and the officials and the people be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it, these people were the people of the province who came up out of captivity, and of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem, Judah, each to his town. They came with Zerubbabel, and then it names the others that they came uh, with. And then lists the people of Israel, including specifically the priests, Levites, temple servants, and the sons of Solomon's servants. And then we pick it up in uh, verse uh, 61. Uh, the following uh, were those who came up from Telmela, Telharsha, Cherub, Adon, and Imma. But they could not put their father's houses, nor their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. Uh, on to verse 64. They these sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but it was not found there. So they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The government them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until a priest of Urim and Thummim should arise. The whole assembly together was 43,360. And then it numbers the servants and livestock. And we rejoin again in verse 73. Uh, so the priests, the Levites, and gatekeepers, and the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel, lived in their towns. So why do we uh, appoint? Something to look at first. Why, why do we appoint? Uh, what's that about? Why do we do it? We'll have a look at verse 2. It says, Hanani and Hananiah were given charge over all of Jerusalem. They were appointed over Jerusalem. Um, it says charge. It's the same word that's used in 2 Samuel 6.21 and it's translated there as point. So there's this idea that they were appointed uh, over Jerusalem. In verse 3 it talks about uh, appointing guards. And in verse 5 it talks about, slightly differently but along similar lines, this idea of people gathering to be enrolled. Um, enrolling those with a legitimate place in the people of God with their role and responsibility in the purposes of God in rebuilding Jerusalem. Um, a, a, something to take part in in terms of mission-wise, to populate Jerusalem, strengthen it, and finish the mission. So why do we appoint people to roles and responsibilities uh, in church life? Uh, I think this passage gives us uh, a few indications why. The first is to bring focus and value to our activity. In verse 1, they, they appoint gatekeepers, they're the kind of doormen of the temple, or they, they had a kind of moral responsibility as well. They appoint singers to lead worship of God. They appoint Levites to do some lay teaching, which we're going to see later on in the book. Uh, verse 3, they appoint guards to stand here and guard the gates to, to guard at home. And what it's doing is it's bringing clarity to people's responsibility. It's focusing their role. It's saying, stand here at the gates. Stand here, stand guard here. I don't go and stand somewhere else. Stand here and guard here. This is your role. This is your responsibility. And it empowers those who have been appointed to say no to other things. It's like, no, no I'm not going to get distracted and go over here and do this or do that because I've been appointed here to play this role. It brings clarity and focus to their specific role. helps them not to be distracted. We see this in the New Testament, don't we? 
in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I've called them to, which is taking the gospel to the non-Jew. Um, and then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. The Spirit brings this sense of definition to Paul and Barnabas' role and says, this is, this is your role in the mission of God. This is what you've been called to. So don't go off and get distracted and do this or that. Here, here's your focus. Take the gospel to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. It was recognized publicly in front of the church at Antioch. They prayed for them and they sent them off uh, for their role and encouraged them and prayed for them as they went. We see the same in when we preached to Acts, didn't we? In Acts 6, they appoint seven people to look after the food distribution to the widows. Um, so this is something we kind of see throughout Scripture. Jesus has this sense of focus about what he's been appointed to. It says in Luke, 5, uh, Luke 9, 51, that he set his face towards Jerusalem, where he would give his life up on the cross and rise again from the dead. He had a focus, didn't he, Jesus? You read the scriptures and you think, why? He just got such a determination, a kind of an unflinching kind of, I know what my life is about, I know what I'm here for. He set his face towards them. And some of us here have been appointed to roles, haven't we? Maybe some of us are house group leaders who have been appointed to that role of um, seeing us as a family gathered in smaller groups so that we could learn to be more like Jesus and do the things that Jesus did so that we're being encouraged to be on mission uh, in our lives, to witness in words, works and wonders to others and be praying for those in our life. Maybe you've been appointed to lead a team, to fulfill a task in church life. Maybe you've been enrolled onto a team. You play a role in a team to uh, perform a particular task. And the result is we get clarity about our responsibility, don't we? Kind of, this is what I'm. This is my, my part to play at New Life. This is the thing that I'm called to, and I can give my focus and attention to it, and not get distracted by other things. And there's a sense of commitment about it, isn't there? As a, uh, <laughs> you know, when I wake up on a Sunday morning, I don't go, I wonder what I should do today. <laughs> I, wonder, oh, I might go for a walk. Maybe I'll go out for breakfast with Jess. I don't think like that because I've been appointed to a role. I've got something to do. I've got somewhere to be here <laughs> doing this. So I'm not getting distracted by this or that because I've been appointed to something as a clarity, sense of responsibility, a commitment to be in there. Some of you have got those kind of roles, aren't you? You get up on a Sunday morning, you've got something to do here on a Sunday. You're not getting up thinking, I kind of wonder what I'll do this weekend. You know what you're doing, because <laughs> you've got a role and responsibility or with house group. So where have you been appointed to serve? There's different kinds of appointments, isn't there, like, in life. It's interesting in verse 3, some of them are appointed to homes. See that? Some of them are appointed to stand at posts. Some of them are appointed to stand in front of homes. Maybe some of us are kind of appointed to be at the home, to serve there, to give our focus and attention in family life, being a parent or being a grandparent and serving there, being present. Such an important thing, parenting, isn't it, and grandparenting? Such significance to it. Some of us have been appointed to that task. Marriage thinking about it as a kind of appointment, isn't it? You kind of publicly declare your commitment to one another, don't you? There's a sense of stand there. 
next to your wife, next to your husband. Support and encourage and love and honour them with your life. There's a sense of appointment to it, isn't there, that brings it value and focus. I, I, don't, I can say no to things because there's something primary and most important about loving Jess. Maybe it's the workplace. Maybe you've got a sense of calling there. But that's to be your focus. It brings value to your day-to-day activity, doesn't it? Monday to Friday. God's led me to this place to work here, to do this job amongst these people. And we've all been appointed in some way, haven't we, by Jesus. Jesus has said to each of us, go and make disciples. That's our primary calling on all of our lives, is to be making disciples. We've all been appointed in that respect. And we've all been enrolled into a church family. When we became Christians and Jesus saved us, he enrolls us into his family, doesn't he? He says, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're part of my family. And he draws us into his purposes. And so we kind of get enrolled into a church family. And that, with that comes kind of responsibilities, doesn't it? The responsibility to kind of gather together, to love one another, serve one another, disciple one another, to give together financially into the things that God's doing amongst us, to pray into those things, to serve in church life. So it brings focus and value to activity. The next thing is it releases others to serve. Verse 2, one of the reasons they appoint Hananiah over Jerusalem was that he was faithful. He was the kind of guy you could rely on. You knew if you said, Hananiah, can you do this? It would just be done. He could be relied on. You don't have to kind of get up in the morning. I wonder. Oh, I wonder if Jerusalem's okay. Uh, I'll put that. I asked that guy Hananiah, but I don't know if he'll turn up for work this morning. We might be back off out in the fields, enjoying a walk. No, they appointed him because they knew he was a reliable person who could be relied on for the task. So it was done effectively, and that's part of the power of appointment, isn't it? it brings power. It releases people to serve. It releases Hananiah to serve as a governor, as a kind of having charge over Jerusalem. But it also um, frees up Nehemiah, doesn't it? Because now he doesn't have that responsibility. He doesn't need to be over the day-to-day running of Jerusalem. Nehemiah can get on with other tasks. We kind of see this in New Testament church life as well, don't we? This is Acts 14. When they'd appointed elders for them in every church... With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. And then they, Barnabas and Saul, passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. You see that? They appointed, and then they went off. Yeah? It released Paul and Barnabas to kind of give themselves to their apostolic mission to go from town to town, telling the gospel to each town and uh, a group of believers being established. Then they'd appoint elders there so that they could carry on with their mission and leave these elders to take care of the church there in that town. It releases others. Uh, We see this in kind of 1 Timothy 3. Paul writes to Timothy and says, appoint deacons. Why is he deacons to kind of serve in specific aspects and areas of church life? Why does he do that? It's to release the elders, isn't it? And to word and prayer. Similar to Acts 6. The apostles say that we don't want to get caught up in this. We need to focus on this. So let's appoint seven folk to take care of the food distribution to the widows. It releases others to serve. 
This is what Jesus does for us, isn't it? In Hebrews 5, Jesus is appointed as our perfect high priest. We sing that song sometimes, don't we? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. Pleads on my behalf. This is my son. This is, he's a member of our family. His sins have been forgiven and wiped away and washed away. Removed as far as the east is from the west. And that releases us, doesn't it, as believers? We don't have to like go through life kind of striving and struggling to try and earn our salvation or get a sense of being right with God through our own perfection, through our own ability, by our own initiation. Jesus has been appointed as our great high priest on high who pleads on our behalf and says, my righteousness belongs to him, it belongs to her. And that frees us, doesn't it? It releases us from trying to be everything that Jesus is. Recognize that we're not him, we're not the Messiah. And that we can be released to just serve and um, uh, in the gifting that God has given us. Acts 10.42 says that Jesus has been appointed the judge of the living and the dead. And that releases us, doesn't it? To not be. I don't have to place judgment on people. So your lifestyle, the way you live, the kind of life you live, the way you treated that person. I don't have to judge them. Because there's one who's been appointed to do it, Jesus Christ. And so it releases me from the need to be the judge of the world, releases us from that and bringing justice ourselves. Jesus is appointed the saviour of the world, isn't he? So we don't need to save the world. We've got a role to play, haven't we? But he's the one appointed to save and the only one who can do it. And that releases us, doesn't it, from this sense of oh, I must kind of do more. I could have said this, I could have done that. With that kind of like, almost like you're almost harassing the person <laughs> into the kingdom. You know? Kind of almost, well, maybe you're not a Christian here and you've kind of had that experience where Christians are a little bit forthright. You know, you kind of, there's something going on there, isn't there sometimes? Where we're like, well, actually, Jesus is the one who saves. So I don't need to, you know, I'm not using words, but hopefully on the recording that's going to sound awful, isn't it? <laughs> but you, you all understood what I meant, hopefully. Um, the third thing is it gives authority and power. It's not just for administrative effectiveness that you appoint people to roles in church life. Um, it does bring clarity, it distributes workload, it's effective, but there's an impartation of power going on to somebody. There's authority travels down lines of authority. Power and authority travels down lines of authority from God into his church. Um, Hananiah is given authority over Jerusalem because previously he'd been over the castle. He says he was in charge of the castle. But now he's got this challenge of growing into a new role of his capacity increasing. Um, Jesus says this in Mark 3.14 He appointed the twelve um, oh no it says this about Jesus and he, Jesus, appointed the twelve he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons the disciples were appointed and sent out and given authority for the task of preaching 
and of casting out demons, freeing people from things that were uh, pressing them. And uh, there's a sense of difference there. Jesus isn't just kind of like appointing them because it's a nice thing to say. If they're going to go out, let's give them you know, a badge. Let's give them a label or a badge. Say, there you go. Now you'll feel all, you know, your self-esteem will pick up. No, he's, there's a genuine power and authority coming when Jesus says, you, my disciples, I'm sending you out to preach and cast out demons. He's bringing a genuine sense of authority. There's a different power that's coming in the way that they serve from that moment on. And being appointed to something also grows us, doesn't it? We kind of grow into sometimes the thing that we're given. We kind of increase in our capacity. It says this, Jesus is teaching this parable of the talents in Matthew 25:23. And at one point in the story he says this, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And the appointment brings an increased capacity. You grow into the responsibility. You grow in gifting. There's this dynamic of kind of being given little and then being given much. The Lord gives you something. You, you, you diligently and faithfully serve in that way. And then the Lord increases your capacity in gifting and says, okay, now time for this. Grow into this. And now, now time for this. Grow into it. And, I, and as he does that, that's, that's the king, kingdom. Isn't, it's not just kind of a spurious, ethereal thing. It's, it's, it's growing because of the sons and daughters of the kingdom. As we go out into the world and grow into our gifting and growing into our roles and responsibilities out there in the world, in the workplace, in the family, in the home, in church life, and we grow into the things that God gives us as we're faithful with the little that he points us to. And uh, there's a bit of a note of caution in, in this, isn't there, in this passage that I just read, that we're not to be reluctant or begrudging of the thing that we serve in, but to serve with a sense of zeal, of excitement, of vision and energy for the task that we've been given. Not that we are like bouncing off the walls every time, you know, we're making tea and coffee at church, but there is a sense of not being reluctant or begrudging about it. In the passage, Jesus says, enter into the joy of your master. When we ask people to do things in church life, what we don't want it to feel like is like, here's a ton of bricks on your shoulders. Enjoy that. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. You do it. <laughs> okay, then. No, it's enter into the joy of your master. There's something about when, when you're considering taking on something like that. There's a, there's a question to ask. Am I excited about this? Is this going to bring me a sense of joy? doesn't mean there won't be times when you wake up on a Sunday and go, should I commit to this? But generally, there's a sense of joy and excitement about the thing that you're being led into. It's not a burden to you. It's a joy to you. Um, so that's, that's why we appoint. Well, who do we appoint? Um, we appoint godly character. Character's primary, isn't it? The kind of person you are. You can teach skills, can't you? You teach them that if, you know, if I haven't got a clue how to make tea and coffee, which I don't, by the way, have a clue how to make coffee, I would need to be taught that. But there's something primary about, I could be taught it, but there's something primary about character, about what God does in our hearts and makes us appropriate for a task. 
1 Timothy 3, the qualifications for elders and, and um, deacons, is all about character, except for the ability to teach. There's a whole list of character stuff. Oh, and by the way, you should, should be able to teach as well. Now, verse 2, it says that um, they, uh, Hananiah was a faithful man. He was trustworthy, reliable, he could be counted on, and he was God-fearing. His heart before God was good. There was a sense of living for an audience of one, less bothered about the opinions of others than serving and being faithful to God and what he had um, given him to do. He made godly decisions. He was full of faith in God. So we don't appoint hastily. We don't kind of rush ahead with giving somebody a task that would be a burden to them for where their character is at. We take time for character to be proven, to grow, prove itself over time through different seasons and different ways. Um, there's proven ability. Verse 2, Hananiah's in charge now of Jerusalem because he was in charge of the castle and he'd been faithful with it and God-fearing. So he's given this bigger responsibility. Been faithful over little, now I set you over much. So the question we ask whenever we're appointing someone is, how are they doing with their current responsibilities? With the little that God has given them, how are they doing with that? And the third thing, it's not in the passage, but it's all over the New Testament, so I thought I'd include it, is full of the Spirit. Um, at 6, Paul, uh, uh, when they appoint those who are going to serve the widows with the food distribution, it happens with Paul and Barnabas when they're sent out. It happens with Jesus, doesn't it? What does Jesus do before he goes out on ministry? Baptism, Spirit, on Jesus. Spirit fills him for ministry full of the spirit and he goes out and ministers so whatever role we're playing whether we're serving teas or coffees or we're being appointed to eldership we need to be full of the spirit question though like, how can you tell if someone's full of the spirit what are we talking about we kind of use that phrase a lot but what, what do we mean when we say somebody's full of the spirit I'll just uh, have a look at Ephesians 5 verses 15 to 20 it says this Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul does when he's talking about um, being full of the Spirit in this passage is he relates it to alcohol. Alcohol kind of saturates your brain, doesn't it? It saturates your brain and you get this good feeling initially but then your mood plummets and you have less control. It kind of leads to unwise decisions, rash decisions that aren't kind of thought through, you think kind of afterwards, well, why did I do that? That was a really stupid thing to do. Um, and it can hurt. We can hurt others, can't we, if we're, if we're drunk. And, and Paul makes a comparison between that and being full of the Spirit, because the Spirit saturates us. He fills us. He brings a joy that's actually like drunkenness. It's a, you know, the Pentecost. They're filled with the Spirit. They go out on the streets. What does everybody think is wrong with them? 
and they're all drunk. <laughs> yeah, they're all drunk. Um, but not with a hangover. There's no hangover with the, with the filling of the spirit you know, on a high one minute and then down the next. Because sometimes you can get that, can't you? You, go, you have one moment of excitement. Um, maybe God speaks to you. There's a thrilling kind of feeling with it. But there shouldn't be this kind of sense of downer later on. We make wise and courageous decisions without necessarily being rash. Alcohol's temporary, but the spirit is a well that we can draw on time and time again without it ever drying up. You know, the alcohol wears off eventually, doesn't it? But the spirit is a well that we can draw from. Jesus says this in John 7, out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. This he said about the spirit rivers of living water flowing out of our heart, a well we can draw on time and time again. There's a sense of being able to um, kind of strengthen yourself in God, kind of draw on the Spirit to bring joy through whatever trial or season we go through. How we fill with the Spirit? In the passage it says, don't be foolish. The days are evil. Be aware of the seriousness of the sin out there in the world, but also in our in our own hearts sense of seriousness about the sin that's in our own lives, a sense of grief and mourning about the ways in which we don't love God and love others it says uh, giving thanks in the name of Jesus, a sense of knowing the sufficiency of Jesus to deal with the sin that's in our life, that he's accomplished it all like we were praying earlier it's all nailed to the cross, we're forgiven by him all that we've done. And third, singing all kinds of songs. It says in the passage, doesn't it? But be filled with the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, and straight in, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, and like we have been this morning, but also spiritual songs, where we just sing songs from our heart, the overflow of our heart to God, our own words of song and thanks and praise to God, making melody to the Lord with all your heart. There's a sense that being full of the Spirit, there's a, there's a singing that comes with it. That kind of just, you know, the overflow of your heart bursts out in praise to the Lord. You feel a fullness when we're singing these songs this morning about, Lord, you're beyond description, beautiful beyond description. I stand in awe of you. And this sense of spiritual songs that actually there's, there's more to sing than just the words on the screen. My heart is full of love and thanks and praise to my God. Full of the Spirit. So we look to appoint people who have godly character, proven ability, full of the Spirit. Finally, how do, how do we serve? Uh, just briefly. Um, how do we serve? Well, the first one is verse 3, to be watchful. It talks about stand guard, shut the doors, appoint guards at guard posts in front of homes. There's an ongoing need for watchfulness. There's never a point in the Christian life where you get a kind of, I can, I can be at ease now. <laughs> the fight's over, it's all won, I can be complacent now because I've arrived at a sense of maturity, um, I know what I'm doing in the Christian life, I can set down arms, I'll be okay. That arrives when you meet Jesus face to face in glory, doesn't it? Until then, complacency is just no place for it in the Christian life. Um, Matthew 26, before the key moment when Jesus is arrested, he tells his disciples, keep watch, be alert. 
to grow complacent, but be alert as we serve God, be watchful of temptation as the enemy schemes. Um, we be safe. Verse 5, it says, Then God put it into my heart. That we're shaped by the things that are on God's heart. This was not something Nehemiah thought of. God thought of it. It was in the heart of God before it was in his mind. Heart of God, then to the mind of man. And uh, it's important, isn't it, that our service is not of our own initiative. It's not our creative ideas. It begins in the heart of God and he awakens us to his plans and purposes in his church. And there are many things, kind of corporately, that we could do, isn't there? When you think of the Christian life and what churches could do, we, there are a million and one things as a church we could do. And we could easily get distracted by trying to do all of them, couldn't we? Or do too many. And so what we've done is we've sought the Lord. Lord, what do you, what do you want to specifically say to us as a church? And at the last church family meeting, we communicated, kind of summarised the prophetic words and what we felt God had said to us as a church. And we talked about how... Uh, we felt God saying to us to be a sticky church. That in the hive here, where the honey's made, people would be gathered in and want to stick with us because of the sweet words about Jesus that they hear, the good works we do, sticking and leaving an imprint on people's lives. Out there in the world, as we go as worker bees, out sharing news about Jesus, witnessing to people in words, works and wonders, leave an imprint on people's lives and they would be gathered in, we'd be a sticky church. We felt God speaking to us about strengthening the foundations of the hive, there'd be a sense of strengthening us as a people. And we felt God speak to us about a physical expression of it as well, that God has for us somewhere in this town, a building where there would be a hub, a centre, a community kind of storehouse, if you like, where people would come for what they need and a way of us having an increasing impact in the community. And so we're believing God for those three things, and we're, step, we're praying for them. We're going to take steps of action that lead us to that place, so we're exploring the building in the centre of town, just seeing if that's the place where God would have us to have impact. Yeah. Heart of God first, then the mind of man. Be shaped. Be hope-filled, as he was a bit more brief. Um, he says, I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first. So this mission of Nehemiah's was built on the past. It was built on the genealogy from when Zerubbabel came up first with others. It's not built on bricks and mortar. It's not built on the wall of Jerusalem being built, although that's, good, that's important. It's not built on reorganization or structures or anything like that. It's built on previous generations experience of the grace of God in their lives. And it's the same for us here, isn't it? Bricks and mortar, organisational structures, etc., they're all important. Appointing people in this way is important. But we're built on hope in Jesus, aren't we? And on being saved by him, by an encounter with his grace and mercy in our lives. So we're to be hope-filled and finally be generous. Verse 70 and 71 says they gave to the work. And the giving was sacrificial. You think, these people were out of Jerusalem. Some of them are being called, enrolled to live in Jerusalem. They're leaving behind their life, their livelihoods in some cases, their families, 
of friends to come and live in Jerusalem, and they're giving to the work right off the bat. They don't come into Jerusalem and go, let's see how this goes. <laughs> see how this pans out, and maybe we'll give. No, sacrificially they give before the project even really gets going and the city's even been repopulated. And their giving was exemplary. Nehemiah says he gave as governor. And that's true for us as a church, isn't it? We give not just for what we see, but we give in faith for what's yet unseen. Don't we? Over many of you, many of years, you as a church gave after Jim had retired and the trustees decided we're going to set aside a certain amount of money as if we're still paying somebody, trusting in faith that there'll be somebody to come uh, and uh, lead the leadership team. And now that time's arrived, hasn't it? You didn't do it just because it was right there in front of you. You did that in faith that that time was going to arrive. And the same thing now. We, we're not just kind of waiting until the building appears. We keep giving, don't we, into the purposes of God, trusting that it, he does have it. We don't kind of wait around for the social action project or this ministry to happen. We give an expectation that God does have it ahead for us in faith, sacrificially. Um, I think it would be good, good to pray for those of us who've been appointed to roles. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Having just talked about appointments for uh, a while, it would be good to pray for people who have been appointed. Um, and, and just to kind of mention a few people it would be good to pray for, it would be good to pray for Andrew Burgess. Andrew's very kindly said he'll uh, organise our setup and pack down. We're really grateful to him for taking care of that on Sunday mornings. Um, we're grateful to Evelyn. Evelyn's uh, heading up our safeguarding team and putting that in order. She's going to do that for a year and then just after that. Um, but she's organising the team, kind of getting some clarity about roles and responsibilities there and putting that in order for us. Really grateful to her for leading the team on that one. And there's very many of us here who are either house group leaders or you lead a team um, and many of us are enrolled on teams aren't we? Because, you know, we play a part in church life. We get to pray for folk. Do you do that? So maybe if, you're, um, maybe if you're a house group leader or you lead a team or you're one of the people I just mentioned, Andrew so why don't you guys stand up and we'll, we'll get around these folk and pray for them now. Is that alright? So if you're a house group leader why don't you stand or if you lead a team We want to bless these folks, don't we? They, they serve us so well. Maybe we should get round Andrew and why don't a couple of you come up on the stage and pray for Paul and Andrew because they lead our worship teams, don't they? Would a couple of you be up for coming and standing with them in prayer? Okay, thanks, Bruce and Mike. Great. Right, if you're around these people, should we stand up? Maybe lay hands on them? if that's appropriate. And let's, uh, let's pray for folks, shall we? Lord God, we thank you for these faithful folk. We thank you for these God-fearing folk. We thank you for these folk who are full of the Spirit. They're such a blessing to us. We so appreciate having them as part of our family, serving us in many ways. We love them, we cherish them as part of us. 
And we pray now, Spirit of God, fill them afresh for the thing that you've called them to and what they were appointed to do. Pray that you would equip them for every good work that's ahead of them. Pray you would sustain them and strengthen them through every difficulty and challenge. And we pray that they would know the joy of the Lord. They would enter into the joy of Jesus as they serve in his church and in his purposes. We pray it would fill them with joy. Fill them with joy, Lord, so they would know you and your strength as they serve. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Thank you, folks. Yeah, bless you, James. Uh, just as we draw to um, a close uh, for the morning, um, please don't pack the chairs away because we have to wipe them down before you pack them. So I got told off the other day because I started to stack them. and said, no, 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 don't stack them. We need to wipe them down. There was one really important notice that 